friends come calling my name My God is so much bigger than the troubles I face
Thank you. 
Hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Father, we just pray, Lord. We pray that for your presence here in this place. Lord, we've gathered in your name and you're here. You promised to inhabit the praises of your people. And so we know that you're here. And Lord, I just pray that your presence would be magnified, Lord, that it would be, Lord, that it would grow and it would grow and grow and it would, it would go across this nation of ours. Lord, that we would see your hand move across our land as you are in so many parts of the world. Lord, we just thank you that we can call upon your name, Lord. As we've sung today, there's no greater name than that name of Jesus. Lord, that you bring salvation, you bring healing, you bring power, you bring peace, you bring the things that simply cannot be produced by any man. They cannot be purchased. Lord, we just thank you for your presence in this place right now. And I pray that your presence would prevail throughout this service today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. While we're still standing, how about going and greeting someone this morning, welcoming them here to our church family. All right, would you please be seated? <laughs> uh, you know, truthfully, and I said this not long ago, fellowship is the best part of being a Christian. And I, I actually said that that's what makes me feel most like a Christian is talking to you and spending time with you. And, uh, you know, hate to cut it short, but that's what we, we have to get on with business. And <laughs> anyways... Um, I don't know. I don't know if we have to extend that to 10 minutes or 15 minutes or something. <laughs> really doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. But it is so good to touch base with each other. Um, listen, if you are a guest of ours here today and you have not yet ever done this before, there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you'd fill that out, do not put it in the offering that we're going to receive in a moment, but take that to our information desk on your way out. We have a gift bag for you. We want you to have a few items to take home just as a way of saying thanks for being with us today. So fill that out, you know, one per family or one per individual if you came with someone else and take that back to the information desk when you leave today. Don't forget, we really want to bless you with that gift bag. And at this time, we're going to go ahead and pray and ask God's blessing on the offering. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Again, your wonderful presence. It ministers to us. It brings soothing to our souls Lord, it refreshes us, and I thank you, Lord, that now we get to bless you by, by, by receiving this offering, by giving you these tithes and gifts. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would use them for your purpose. Bless each giver in Jesus' name. Amen.
you're wondering, does it seem a little dark up here? Well, what, let me just explain, okay? I was, I was down in Atlanta this week, and I came home. I don't know if I ate too much greasy things, but I got a few blemishes and asked them to dim the lights. So you can't see it, right? So it looks good. Now, um, we had some technical problems with the lighting, so this is the best we can do. You've heard of singing in the rain? They were singing in the dark, and I'm going to preach in the dark. And, and we did. We had something going for a while. We tried some, some things, and, uh, and then you saw the strobing, right? We thought that'd be cool, and I told the worship team, if they really start strobing, you just have to dance. You can't just sing, you know? So anyways, we're going to live with this. Hopefully, the camera can pick this up okay. Um, try to lighten it up so it's just not my silhouette and a voice. Uh, but you never know. You can start a new trend. That's how this stuff happens. You do something weird, and every church will want to jump onto it. We're going to do that next week at our church. But listen, I want to begin with a few announcements. First, a few thank yous. Uh, thank you from Joy Coleman to you and Head Start in Wilmington. 72 book bags or, or backpacks were given. And so thank you for your generosity and ministering to those kids. Also, thank you for last Sunday. Wasn't it great? Um, we had good weather, we had really good weather. Uh, Doug Clay, our general superintendent, what a, what a great message. I was so, wasn't it great having him here? It really was. And uh, the food was good. Thank you to everyone who sat up. Um, I, you don't want to be single out, but especially Dwight, all the work you did, man. Just, I mean, there's a lot of extras. Um, I don't know. Did, did the young adults and teens, did they ever stop playing football long enough to grab something to eat? But there was plenty of food. Thank you for everything you made, all the side dishes and desserts. Um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't touch a dessert. Like I promised, I went right to Mr. Softy, uh, the, the ice cream truck, Absolutely. Um, but only twice. I thought I could do three. I actually thought I could do five, but I, I guess I got large servings the first two times. I just, I couldn't. I wanted to. I waited. He left. He was leaving at 3.30, and I thought, yeah, and I just couldn't do it, so it wasn't self-discipline. It was pain. I just couldn't do anything more, but anyways, we had a good time, and I'm just so glad for the weather. They're, they're predicting like pop-up thunderstorms this afternoon or something, so we really did pick the right week. God blesses us. 37 years with no rain. Thank you, Jesus. That's fantastic. A um, couple other announcements. We have um, one of our own is going to turn 100 years old, two weeks from Tuesday, and it's in your bulletin, Sister Evelyn Morgan, and uh, we're asking if you would take the time to send her a card. Wish her 100th birthday celebration. Would you do that? Um, and then also, I, we, had, we, had, we had an event here yesterday. Uh, I missed it, flew in too late, but we have a newlywed couple here. Don't you love it? I love embarrassing people. Mr. and Mrs. Scott Ayers, just stand so they can see you or wave or something. There they are. So just yesterday. So um, anyways, God bless you guys in that union. And a couple other items um, next week, youth convention. Your, your final payment is due if you're going to youth convention the following weekend. Uh, Pastor Hans might be on the road today. He's driving back from Springfield, Missouri. They went out there the, to visit uh, family. And uh, so pray for them while they're on the road. And then also uh, this week is see you at the poll on Wednesday. So let's go ahead and show that video as a reminder.
That's right. So Wednesday is a time for our students to meet at their schools a little bit early before school starts and just pray at the, the, the pole, this flagpole out in front of their school as a witness and also to pray that God would bring real change. Not just a ceremonial thing, but really an effectual thing. Amen? Um, well, I guess, you know, I've, I've, I haven't said this often to you, but I have thought it in the past. As you know, I'm originally from New England. And there were times when I wished I was a colonial era pastor. Life was a lot simpler. I mean, it was nice we got to see video and all. They didn't have that in the 1700s. But, you know, pastors were, were recognized as civic leaders. They were respected as such. Um, and they oftentimes preached in low light. So I got my dream come true here today. Uh, but I am preaching from my iPad. <laughs> so it's backlit. So I can see it fine. So listen, today we're going back to Ephesians. It's been a few weeks uh, because of other events. Our special speaker last week and I didn't preach the week before. So Ephesians chapter 4 today and we're going to finish up this chapter. And we're going to begin this morning with verse 17 through verse 32. This is Ephesians 4 verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you've heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, Browling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Father God, we thank you once again for your presence. We thank you for your word. And we, we know, Lord, that today you will speak to our hearts. And I pray that our hearts would be fertile ground, that they'd be open to receive what you have for us today. We ask for your anointing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I first want you to be aware of what Paul is doing in this fourth chapter. Thus far, he has told the Ephesians that there is a specific or a particular way to live out the Christian life. There is really, there is a prescribed path for the Christian. He's informed them of the special gifts that God has given to them for his purpose. These being the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And thirdly, he puts before them a God-ordained goal. And that's what today is about. He told, he told us, last time we looked at this, he tells them in verse 12 through 16 that they are to become mature, attaining to the full measure of Christ. 
growing up into him who is the head and becoming a whole body, growing and building itself up in love. And so you see, we need to remember that the church of Jesus Christ has a threefold mission. Number one is to worship God. Our our number one purpose and mission on this earth is to worship God, to glorify Him. That's something we're going to do eventually in eternity. Secondly, we are to evangelize the lost. We need to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to tell them that Jesus came, that God sent His own Son into this world to live among men, to die on a cross for men, to be raised from the dead, so that just as He promised them, just as I live, He said, you also will live. And all they need to do is put their trust and faith and belief in him. And then thirdly, the third purpose of the church is that we would grow, that we would mature, that we would edify one another, we strengthen each other, and that we would do this in love. And with that purpose in mind, with mutual edification as our focus this morning, I want us to consider the how-tos. How are we going to become proficient in building each other up? It doesn't, it doesn't just happen. It takes effort. You'll see this in a moment. How are we going to enable one another to grow and to become mature, to become what God wants each one of us to become? How can I help you? How can you help that person sitting next to you or even on the other side of the sanctuary or, or maybe in your life group or Wednesday night Bible study? How can you help them become everything that God wants them to become? And they need you and you need them. If not, we wouldn't have this thing that, he, that God created called the church. We would simply get saved and live life alone. But he's actually put the body together with a specific purpose of strengthening that body. You know, I'm, I'm sure that just about every one of us has some kind of preconceived notion about how to get brother or sister so-and-so to mature, right? We know, we, we can look at their life and I know what they need. We are experts when it, when it comes to estimating or assessing how to help others grow up. We love the parenting role, even to the point of trying to parent our spouses. <laughs> Hello. Maybe parent a coworker, a sibling, even fellow church members. That's not exactly what Paul's talking about in this passage. And Jesus addressed this issue, this tendency that we have in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Matthew 7, verse 3 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, Jesus said. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Again, think about people you know in your life. Wouldn't you love to just help them to kind of improve in that one area where they... They just create all kinds of anxiety for you. But that passage that Jesus spoke is very convicting. Anyways, I I just thank God that we have in our hands this morning, whether it be in your iPhone or your tablet or real paper Bible, we have in our hands this morning God's holy manual for everyday living. Amen? The Bible, the Word of God. Because what we're going to see, what we've just read in Ephesians 4.17 through 32 tells us precisely how to and how not to relate to one another. And these are rather explicit instructions. Beginning in verse 17, Paul said, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. 
I tell you this, Paul said, and I insist on it in the Lord. That's rather strong. He's telling us, listen up. This is important. God is speaking. And then he instructs us. He says that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, there are two facets to this. When Paul tells us to no longer live like the Gentiles, he's telling us, number one, do not live the way you used to live. Because you used to be a Gentile, meaning unsaved is what he means. Unsaved. Do not live the way you used to live. We need to lay aside our former way of life. You, you can't go back and live that way. And notice we need to leave our old way of living in the past. Paul said something very similar to the Corinthians when he, when he was comparing our old life with our new life. How the, all the old has passed away, that everything has become new. 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul says, from, So from now on, we are to regard no one from a worldly point of view. We're not to think of anybody from a worldly point of view. And then secondly, he's telling us, do not behave like those around you who are not believers. So again, don't go back to your old way of doing things. And also do not imitate those who are around you who don't know Christ. Paul states in verse 22, you were taught, he said, you were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self and to put on the new self. And sadly, I've got to tell you, right here is where, where, where some Christians fail. Some Christians are basically born-again infants. And they never seem to outgrow their spiritual pampers. I mean, no doubt they're saved. But they've not progressed very far along in their sanctification. They, they know heaven. They, they, they hope for heaven. But they know precious little about how to live on this earth as a child of God. They've hardly gotten past the starting point of accepting Christ as their Savior. And, and you know, the, their spirit is born again, but they're not, gonna, they're not going any further. You see, when we, re, when we pray to receive Christ for salvation, here's what happens, okay? The first thing, the moment we pray to accept Christ, we become born again. The term is used several places in the New Testament, specifically. We become born again. The moment we pray to receive Christ... If we were to die in the very next breath, we would go to heaven. No doubt whatsoever. Our spirit would be ready. Our spirit would have been born again. Secondly, we have our minds. We have our wills. What the Bible labels as our heart or our soul. That's not immediately changed. Our spirit is immediately born again. Our spirit is immediately ready for heaven. But our soul, our soulish man, our minds, our wills, our emotions, that, that, that has a lifetime to go through a transformation process that the Bible refers to as sanctification. This is where the old self, over time, gets exchanged for more and more of the new self. That, and that, that it's also where we struggle with desire and temptation. Our spirit doesn't struggle with, with, with temptation. It's our soulish man. Our soulish person who, who, who has to, you know, do I, do I follow through? Or do I do it God's way? Paul told the Romans in Romans 12 too. He said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, the mind there representing the soul and the heart as well. And as Ephesians 4, 17 told us, no longer living like the Gentiles. 
So our spirits are immediately ready for heaven. Our souls are being transformed daily and are being conformed into the image of God's son, Jesus. And then we have our bodies. What about our bodies? And, and I don't, you know, I, I want to say it this way and I don't want to say it this way. But when I look at scripture, it looks like God just gives up on them. And it's not that they're evil or they're bad. It's just that they're very finite and they're very limited. He gives up on our bodies. They're not born again. They're not going to be transformed in this world. They cannot enter into heaven in their current condition. And we know this because God's word tells us this. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 50, Paul says, well, it's the Holy Spirit speaking, but Paul writes this. He says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood, your body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. So as we can see here, the body that you live in right now will not ever get into heaven. And most of us should say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> no, really. I mean, I, I've dieted for most of my life. I have literally lost thousands of pounds <laughs> over 60 plus years. And then I found them all again, except for about five years ago. And boy, it's been good. But just think, a better body. Most of us, that'll make us really happy. Just a better body. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what age we're going to be when we get to heaven. But I just know it's going to be great. Just know it's going to be great. So forget about your body. Forget about your body. God wrote it off a long time ago. He said, you're going to get a new one. You're going to get a new one. Oh, man. I, I, I thought about it when I was putting my notes together, but I haven't thought about it like, Right now, I really, that's, that's exciting. That's exciting. I hope I recognize you guys there, but. <laughs> oh, man. I'll be at the corner of pearly and gold when you get there. Look for me, okay? But again, understand, your spirit is born again. Your soul, and this is our focus this morning, your soul is being renewed daily. It's going through a process of transformation, or at least it's supposed to. And also understand this, that this transformation process requires a conscious cooperation between us and God. It, it doesn't happen automatically. Again, when you, when you receive Christ, you become saved, you become born again. That's God. He did that. He did that. This sanctification process requires your participation and requires our cooperation with God. We have to make an effort. And we actually see it in this fourth chapter. We are, we're supposed to make an effort in putting off the old man, the old nature, and then putting on the new man. And so what I'm saying is we have a measure of responsibility in this. And the truth is that a Christian who is an infant will not even try. You know, little babies, they don't dress themselves. You had to put a little effort this morning. Take a shower, some deodorant, and then clothes. And then you had to drive here. You had, it took effort. You had to make a decision, and then you had to act on that decision. And again, you know, Christian spiritual infants, they're saved, but they're living empty and futile lives. They're childish. They're refusing to allow the Holy Spirit to bring holiness into their life. And I guess that, you know, they, they would look like what we might label as a carnal Christian. 
And remember, we're, we're, not, we're not talking only about the external worldly habits. It's easy to judge someone else by, by the things they overtly do. But you know what? There may be some worldly attitudes inside that you can't see. And that's keeping them in the stage of being a Christian infant. Have you ever seen or known the Christian who one moment's praising God and the next one they're giving someone a piece of their mind? No, really, don't leave this service and, and, and go to Cole's customer service and be a different person. And I'm mentioning Cole's because they're right down the road. I mean, the dissonance, the conflict is glaring. Again, they know how to be all churchy, but in their heart, they're holding on to grudges and worldly attitudes and worldly thoughts. And, and, and Paul's addressing all that here in this fourth chapter. And there are a couple of verses on this topic, which I want to draw to your attention. One is from James chapter 3. And uh, the Apostle James says in verse 9, chapter 3, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be so. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. I mean, that passage speaks for itself. Another verse I'm drawn to is from 1 Corinthians 13, 11, where Paul says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's a terrific illustration that Paul gives to us. Again, I've been talking about the, the infantile believer versus the more mature, sanctified Christian. When we were children, we wanted our own way. We'd throw temper tantrums, kick, scream, fuss, until we all got what we wanted. But then when we became adults, we realized that life was more than just about me. Life is more than just about me. Responsibility should become an, a, a, an everyday way of life. Others are depending upon us. Life includes work. Life includes hard work. The duties of supporting others and maturing others. But again, some Christians want to live like children. They're saved, but they're childish. They want salvation. They want everything from, that heaven has for them. At the same time, they want everything else the world has too. The Bible tells us to be childlike, not childish, right? Childlike. Or in John's epistle, it, it asks this question. And boy, this is a, this is a, 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 a great contrast. Listen, listen to what... What John the Apostle wrote, he said, How can you say you love God, whom you have not seen, but hate your brother, who you do see? That's pretty heavy. And so that's why we need to work, or Paul said, give effort. We need to work at putting on the new man and putting away the old man. And that process is a daily one. Let me, let me read to you, or let's read together, the honesty of a truly God, godly man. Listen to this. This is, this is Paul speaking about himself. This is Romans 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I actually hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. Now, he's not trying to, you know, push his responsibility to the side. 
But he says, it's no longer I myself who do it, but a sin living in me. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful or carnal nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil that I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And he says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. That's, that's, that temptation is right there with you. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. I am so glad that Paul wrote those words. I, I admire the Apostle Paul. He's one of my Bible heroes. To think that he had this struggle, just like you and I. When we want to do good, we don't. We fail. When you know, we, we try to get this stuff. But again, it's, it's one day at a time. It's a process of sanctification. And I so appreciate Paul's candidness. We were sinners saved by grace. Every day can be a battle. Every day requires that we put off the old self and put on Christ. And the instruction that was given to us in Ephesians 4, verse 25 and forward was very simple. Listen to this. This is part of it. These are things that we need to consciously make some effort or at least cooperate with God on this. Ephesians 4.25 and 4, the rest of the verses, very simple. Speak the truth in love. No falsehood. Do not sin in being angry. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage. Get rid of it. Bitterness, rage, anger, browling, slander, along with every form of malice. Get it out of your life. And please notice that when Paul gives this list in this passage, you know, he didn't mention any of the external sins. Did you notice that? He didn't, he didn't mention adultery in this passage. He didn't mention drunkenness. He didn't mention any other physical sin. I would suggest to you, really, I think sometimes those are the easier ones to fight. Those are the, easier, those are the ones that don't tempt. It's the stuff that's inside that we can hide from others can fester, it can linger a while. But you know, something like bitterness, that can be a hard one. I mean, how hard, how hard it can be, right? For us to get over being wronged or taken advantage by someone. Anger and malice, they can be, they can be tough ones too. And they can stew and boil inside of us for a long time. Nobody knows but us and God. And you know why those are such important issues to the Christian? Because they will, just like external sins, they will, if left unchecked, they will inevitably contaminate other people. I want you to look at Hebrews 12, verse 14 and 15 with me. Hebrews 12, verse 14 and 15. Make every effort. There's, there, there's, it sounds like Paul again. Make every effort. Work at this. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Okay, bitterness will defile you, but it has, this, it has this tendency where it can defile many. 
The root of bitterness ultimately has the power to contaminate and defile people who would never have been involved with the carrier of that spiritual disease in the first place. You didn't mean to become part of their problem or their, or their, you know, or their angst. And here's the anatomy of it all. Okay, all you have to do is to be angry at someone. Just you. Just start one person. You get a little soured. You begin, you begin to, to plan a little verbal vengeance. And so you take your complaint to someone else. You share it with someone. Okay? Talking about that person, you're sharing it with someone. And then you go to a third party and a fourth party. Any sympathetic ear that you can find. And sadly, you know what? We even have social media and digital avenues today that make this even worse. You know, really, you, if you look at the divisiveness in society today, it's bitterness through digital avenues. Really. You know, in the old days, if you had a problem with somebody, you either had to deal with it, share it with a couple people, which is wrong. And eventually, it, it would dissipate. But boy, you throw it up on the internet, and it just grows exponentially. We can spread our bitterness far and wide today with a tablet, a smartphone, or a keyboard on our desktop. And then over time, your bitterness becomes other people's bitterness. All right? You've got a problem with that person and suddenly three or four people. And again, if you put it on the internet, hundreds of people, thousands of people. Just the opposite of what God wants as stated in Ephesians chapter 4. All these people get infected. Because you see, the root of bitterness works directly against the purpose of mutual edification. Ephesians 4, Paul said, we're to, we're to be working to help each other to grow. And so why do people get angry? Why do they get bitter and angry? Because they realize that they don't have 100% control over their lives or the lives around them. I mean, that's, that's something we should, we should know firsthand as Christians. I mean, they, they just don't have control. Husbands get bitter when they realize they cannot manipulate their wife. Wives, too. Works both ways. Or in the workplace, concerning superiors. Comparing economic status can get some people to become bitter. People get bitter when they realize they don't have control over life and death. On the flip side of this, and I've seen this from time to time, I mean, I've heard testimonies of parents who've lost little children to some form of cancer. And I mean, had every reason to be upset, every reason to be angry and bitter, but they refused. They were not going to become bitter at the doctors or at the environment or at God or even at themselves. That's the kind of person who understands they don't have control and it's okay. Because when we came to Christ, I gave my life to him. We gave our lives to him. He's in control. And that's what's so great about being a believer. That's what's so great about being a Christian. We know who's in control. We know who holds all our tomorrows in his hands. I know that my God is sovereign. He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And he's omnipotent. He is, he, he is fully in control. I know the Spirit of God can change a life. He can change any life. And so as a pastor, I don't have to resort to manipulation or gimmicks or guilt trip anyone in order to bring about change in their life. That's not how it's done. 
Now, we're about to close. So at this time, I want us to take a good look inside of ourselves this morning. Is there something pent up inside of us? Some frustration, maybe some bitterness, some malice, unresolved anger. Does life feel as though it's beyond your control? Is there a situation, is there a circumstance that keeps drawing away your focus and your attention? I need you to know that God knows and he understands. He really does. This is a verse, there's a verse that I shared last time and it really is the answer for us again this morning. And it's James chapter 4, verse 6. I mean, this verse just applies to our entire Christian existence. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so I think all we need to do really is just humbly yield ourselves to him this morning and open ourselves up to receiving from him. That's a, the minute we open our hearts and our hands, he will come and fill us. You know, our general superintendent, Doug Clay, last week, he directed us towards this altar. And last Sunday, he brought up the issue of anxiety, if you'll remember. And I just wonder if today, like last week, we should go to God and ask him to help us with frustration or bitterness to really just open ourselves up to God. Amen. So let's stand together. And if we could have um, Heather, if you'd come back. I, I want us to not rush out of here today and just find a place of prayer. You know, maybe something that I've shared today has touched you in a way that you just want to release that to God. You just want to give it to him. And, and maybe, maybe it wasn't something I said, but sometimes, and I, I know I've been in various, you know, church conferences over the years. Sometimes my heart would just be open. It wasn't what the, what the presenter shared, but there was something else to the side and God just, his Holy Spirit's floodlight just hit that and I knew I had to deal with it. And so I want to ask you, I want to urge you, I want to invite you to come here this morning and just spend a few moments in prayer, just giving that thing to God so that you can truly be, be of, of, of worth to someone else in this congregation, your church family, in your own family, where you can help them to grow and to mature. Let's do that now. Father God, I just thank you, Lord. Just come now if you would. Father, I pray, Lord, for every one of us in this room. Lord, that you don't want us to be bitter. Lord, there's no need for us to be frustrated, but we do get frustrated. We do get angry at times. We do get upset. We see someone else getting incredibly blessed, and we're going through this hard time. But Lord, we've given you our lives. We belong to you. You bought us with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. Father God, you bought us. First, you created us, and Adam and Eve rebelled, and all of us became sinners. And then, Father God, you sent the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, your Son, to die on that cross so that we could be set free from the law of sin and death. And all that goes with it, all the troubles of this world. Lord Jesus, you even said, in this world you will have trouble. But then you said, be of good courage, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so, Lord, I pray, God, for the, for the, for the frustrations that some feel, for, for the bitterness, for the, for the anger, Lord. I pray for that this morning. And I pray that that part of our old self would be pushed out in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, that we would, that we would consciously clothe ourselves with this new life that you've given to us. Lord, I thank you, God, that, our, that all of our life, all of our life, 
The goal of our entire life, according to your word, is that we would be conformed into the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. That we become more and more like you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we'll never be perfect this side of heaven, but we're to strive for that. We're to strive for for a little bit more holiness, a little bit more maturity, resembling you more and more every day. Lord, I thank you that the minute we receive you, our our spirits are born again, but our souls are to go through this transformation process. And you want us to join with you, Lord God. You want us to cooperate with you. It's your agenda that we become more and more like you. Lord, I pray your will be done in our lives, Lord, just as it is in heaven. Lord, that your will would be done in our lives. Hallelujah, Lord. God, we just turn it over to you, Lord. We we turn over all the disappointment, all the frustration, all the anger, all the bitterness, all the malice. Lord, that we would not live as the Gentiles do. But Lord, there'd be something different about our lives. That you're your fruit of the Spirit will be produced and manifested through our lives. Hallelujah, God. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to seek you and to pray, to know that you're the one that does the work in us. And Lord, we simply have to cooperate with you. We have to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You're our Savior, but you need to be our Lord. We need to accept you as our master, that we're going to be obedient to you. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise you, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We want your will to be done, Lord. Your will to be done. Because your will is perfect. And and it's unique for every one of us. What you have for me, Lord, is different than the person next to me, Lord. I, I thank you, God, for that truth. And I don't need to compare. I don't need to get, get, get brought into that trap of comparing my life to someone else's. But you have a perfect will. You have a perfect purpose for each one of us. And I pray, God, that we be sensitive to that, that we would say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. You are faithful, Lord. We love you, Master. We love you, God. We thank you, Lord. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And we thank you, Lord, for forgiving us of all sin, cleansing of all unrighteousness. And only you have the power to do that. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.